personal lives and as a church, uh, kind of approaching the holiday season. Um, want to make sure you're looking at your bulletin, be informed of what's going on, uh, dates, times, uh, as those get settled. I want everybody to be informed as possible uh, because I also understand the insanity that's about to begin um, uh, all around us. All right, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, uh, we thank you again for all the reminders that we've had this morning in music. And now I just pray that you allow the truth that we have in front of us to penetrate our minds, to penetrate our hearts. The Lord, that is only possible by the power and movement of your spirit. And so we pray that power and that movement would happen for us this morning. By your grace, we appeal, Father, to your mercy to be with us today. Be with me. I pray you will help me be clear as I speak. I pray you would use me as a vessel. And I pray you'd be glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. Believe it or not, as a pastor, I would tell you that it's been my observation that the love of God has become an uncomfortable topic for those of us who I would probably describe as traditional or orthodox in our belief. It's one of the more abused concepts, we see that, one of the more misunderstood concepts in all of the Bible. We look out into the American church and we see a lot of preachers, a lot of churches that are telling people that God loves them so much that he's just waiting to give them a new car, help them to make their first million, to make sure that they are sickness free. How sad to measure someone's love by what they can do for you. But then we look out into the world, and we see all types of evil. And not only see it happening, it seems to be approved, even encouraged. And we think to ourselves that God's judgment seems like it would be a better practice for times like this. For others of us, we're facing a trial or a difficulty. And to hear that God loves you seems unattached to reality. Doesn't seem to be any muscle behind it. Or we get even more personal. You might be here this morning aware of the fact that you're not the parent, the spouse, the child, the student, that you know you're supposed to be. And so it's very difficult to believe the old song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But understanding God's love is absolutely essential to understanding what Jesus is trying to tell us here. We've been talking about rest. We we say rest is the ability to face the troubles and issues of life while remaining untroubled in the heart. And we've seen that we can have this rest because God is our Heavenly Father. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the sovereign God. And we see that we can have this rest because Jesus gives us this unshakable security. We are His. And last week we saw we can have this rest even as we struggle with our sin, even as we suffer, even as we deal with doubt. We can have this rest because Jesus comes with grace. Now this morning I want us to uh, focus on these final two verses. This is the final message in these five verses, six verses. 
If you're taking notes this morning, here's the thing I would have you write down first. I can have rest because Jesus loves me. I can have rest because Jesus loves me. Following his invitation to come unto me in verse 28 and verse 29, Jesus invites us to do something. Now, it's not a condition. We know the invitation to rest uh, is with the promise of rest simply for coming. The language here is he's saying, if you do this, this is where you're going to or how you're going to find rest. Come unto me. And I also want you to take this. I want you to do this. And all of this is based on a truth that Jesus loves his children. Three points for you this morning. Number one, Jesus loves me in my confused wanderings. Jesus loves me in my confused wanderings. I want you to note the command here. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Most of you know as farmers and ranchers and who live in an area like this, a yoke is something you attach to an animal uh, in order to, uh, uh, to do some form of labor. Here it's clear that Jesus is talking about a yoke that you would typically put on an ox, that you would then put on a plow so that you could turn over dirt. The yoke is used so that the farmer can direct the animal where he wants it to go to bring the animal under complete control of the farmer. But not only are we told to take this yoke, we're told to come and learn from him. Now, a few of you this morning have uh, experienced breaking an animal. Whether you're trying to house train a cat, trying to make a horse rideable, or try to get the herd to move the direction you want it to go, you know what it's like to try and break an animal. That's the idea here. Come and put on the yoke and be broken in. Get house trained. Become a productive member of the farm. But at first glance, that doesn't seem to be a path towards rest. How does being yoked for work and trained for work lead to rest? Well, last year when we were up in Canada visiting a friend who primarily uh, worked at this camp, primarily dealing with horses, and one of the things they would talk about is how a horse will behave significantly better when it has something to do. Stimulation from work will keep it from biting other horses. It'll keep it from knocking over its feed trough. even helps it to stay healthy. Go to a zoo. You'll visit with a zookeeper, and you find that they have to provide stimulation for the animals lest they become a danger to themselves and others. See, Jesus is seeing us in our wandering and confused state, and he's offering to give direction. He's offering to give purpose, not to weigh us down, but to give us rest. In fact, I would suggest to you that if following Jesus always seems to lead to this havoc, always seems to lead to this stress, I would suggest to you it's not his yoke and not his teachings that you are wearing. I remember once when I was a child, I was with my mother and my sister at a mall. As you can guess, I was a rather hyper or spastic child. My mother could tell you stories. Because I was that way, I wandered away from my mother into a toy store. Something, something caught my eye. I went and looked at it. Now, my mother knew where I was, but I didn't know where, that she knew. After looking at the toy, I looked up, realized that she wasn't there. 
I didn't see her anywhere. I remember looking at the stores next to it, going across the mall, looking into that store, and I could not find her. And so I went to a payphone, called home. My other sister answered. I said, I'm lost. She's like, what do you expect me to do? And she hung up. (laughs) But there I was. Because of my wanderings, scared and confused. We read in the Gospels, Jesus looked at the people as, as sheep without a shepherd. They didn't have anybody coming alongside and letting them know they were safe. Nobody to lead them through the shadows of death. Nobody to lead them to the fresh grass, to the calm water. The Bible is very clear. Left to ourselves, we will wander again and again into the briar bush. There will be fights with others. We begin to frantically search for answers in our life. We'll be impulsive. Whatever impulse we have, we're going to follow it. We can illustrate this perhaps by how study after study shows For example, that fatherlessness is the primary cause of poverty. It is the most common trait shared among both men and women who are in prison. Children who do not have a father wander off in life. They're confused, find themselves covered again and again in sandburrs. My niece and my two nephews have learned about sandburrs this week as they try to walk in our yard without shoes. All of us, though, are as sheep who have wandered off. We try to navigate our marriage. We try to navigate parenting. We try to navigate our job or going to school. And we try to do it without the yoke of Christ. We try to do it acting on our own wisdom. And then one day we wake up and we're in the briar bush and we wonder where it went wrong. We walk around full of regrets. Don't know what to do with our guilt. One wave of anxiety after another, depression and anger. But Jesus doesn't see us as a horse to be put down. He doesn't see us as a stray cat to be ran over. He doesn't see us as a bull snake to be shot. He sees us in our wanderings and confusion and says to us, Take my yoke, learn from me, and you will find rest. Number two this morning, Jesus loves me with gentle accessibility. Jesus loves me with gentle accessibility. I want you to see the phrase here, I am meek. That word meek is probably better translated gentle. I am gentle and lowly of heart. Now the first thing I want you to know is there are 80 some odd chapters in the Gospels. This is the only place where Jesus tells us the nature of his heart. Biblically, the heart is what animates a person, what gets them out of bed. Jesus has told us in other places, it's pretty easy to know what's in a heart of a person because guess what? It comes out of their mouth. And so Jesus is telling us who he really is. He says, I am gentle and lowly. But what does it mean to be gentle? Well, it's used different ways in the Bible. Typically, gentle is to not be trigger happy. It means to be somebody who doesn't overreact. Here, the the best definition in the context would be to be somebody without harshness. So he's saying, I'm not overreactive. Take my yoke, learn from me, for there is no harshness in my voice or in my heart. 
What does it mean to be lowly? Again, the word is used all over the Bible, but the most common usage is for humility or to be humbled, to not brag or boast. Another way it's used in the Bible is to be unassuming or to be approachable. So, so the idea perhaps would be accessibility. So he's saying, come unto me, for I am not harsh and I am accessible. Like a, a large man getting down to hear the story of a young child. Now this is somewhat difficult for us to get our minds around. We naturally assume that at the heart of Jesus is judgment. Our natural disposition is to think that the thing that animates Jesus the most is our sin. But if we go back to the Old Testament, we see that gentle accessibility has always been at the heart of God. Think, for example, whenever you encounter God's anger and wrath in the Old Testament, it is always, always, always in the context of having been provoked. He tells us about fresh mercy. He talks about his long suffering. But then we see arrogant pride, years of sin, gross immorality, generational disobedience. And those things are described as things that provoke God's wrath. In Hebrews, we're told that he disciplines his children. That too is framed as something that needs to be provoked. But guess what is never framed as needing to be provoked? His love. Why? Because it's what, it's, it's what is at the heart of God. It's what animates him. John tells us that love is of God. God is love. Now, why is that important? Well, again, any of you who uh, live in a, in a ranch or farm style understand that the heart of the master will determine the care of the animal. Think of it this way. In Jesus' day, this idea of taking a yoke was a common rabbinical phrase. For example, the Apostle Paul's rabbi, who we know as Gamaliel, said the same thing and likely said it to Paul. Take on my yoke. But Jesus tells us what is at the heart of those teachers. They're the kind of people who give yokes that they're unwilling to wear. Those kind of teachers, they put weight upon weight on the animal because their heart is prominence, in their heart is greed, in their heart is power. And that's how you end up with, with men who will blow all sorts of wind about being holy on Sunday and then have an affair on Monday. Because they, are, they weigh down their congregation with burdens they themselves are unwilling to carry. And for those kind of teachers, when they use up an animal, they simply move on to the next. They favor the animals that are enriching them. But here we have Jesus, who is this morally perfect person whose name is above all name. And he says, here, I give you a yoke, and I am gentle at my heart, and I am accessible at my heart. We have the Jesus who goes after the one sheep that wanders off. Now, how does this change us? Well, it allows us to think of our lives within the context of God's kindness. So, in other words... When we talk about politics as a Christian, we, we talk about it in the framework of God's kindness. When we discipline our children, we do it in the framework of God's kindness. It permeates what we do and how we think. It allows us to leave the, the, the smell of heaven everywhere we go. 
Jesus tells us about the wicked servant who goes to a master in whom he is in great debt and the master forgives him only for a turn to turn around and be ugly towards those who are indebted to him but their debt is minor in comparison. Our heart is, as Christians are supposed to be like Christ. We're supposed to be gentle and lowly. For example, anger is not a sin, but it should take significant provoking to get there. We absolutely have to have courage in these times to stand for what is right, but courage is not a contrast to gentleness and lowliness. We should do both. This is how we're loved. This is how we should be loving others. Number three, Jesus loves me for my blessing. Jesus loves me for my blessing. Lastly, this morning, we come to this final verse, verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is actually a rather interesting phrase. Let me run up to it. He tells us we need a yoke, we need to be taught, lest we wander off the cliff. And he tells us you don't have to worry about it because I'm the kind of master who will rule over you with gentleness and lowliness. But this phrase in verse 30, the idea here is he's saying, my yoke is not a yoke. My burden is no burden. Jesus is speaking to our heart, a heart that is suspicious. We are full of distrust. When God made the world, he told humanity to go and govern it. He makes trees, tells us to go make things out of the trees, and we rebel against this arrangement. We want to do what we want in this world, so God gave us a picture. We've talked about this before. The reason your car breaks down, the reason the copy machine doesn't work, the reason your phone goes dead, is because God cursed the earth to rebel against us. When your phone dies, it's a reminder of how, your, how you have a tendency to act towards God. You, you run out of energy to do what he wants you to do. We grow, we, we grow weeds. We don't run smoothly. Instead of working, we're lazy. But it is our heart, our heart, we want to throw off anything that wants to rule over us. A rebellious heart. This is what Jesus is trying to speak to. So he's saying to us, take my yoke, learn at my feet. Here's where you're going to find rest, and we resist. We're not going to have him rule over us. So Jesus responds, but my yoke isn't a yoke. My burden isn't a burden. He's telling us to lower our guard. Because he knows that we might respond, you know, I knew this one pastor who used to bully people. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. Or we might respond, you know what, I have, a, I have a father who used to abuse and beat me, and Jesus is responding, I'm not like that. You might respond, well, you know, there is this sheriff in my town, and he was corrupt, and Jesus is saying, I'm not like that. He knows we're drowning people. Here he's trying to throw us a life ring, and we have to be convinced to put it on. Peter says it this way in Acts 3, God, God did a lot of work to save you and he did it for your betterment. Paul says it this way, God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And they both make this application, because God loved me for my blessing, the things that God asks me to do become joy, not a yoke. 
because God loved me for my blessing, the big afflictions of this life become small and light and they fit in my pocket. The doctrine we're talking about here is the fullness of God. God is without need. The rabbis of Jesus' time, they needed people to submit to them. They needed to rise in prominence. But there's no motivation like that with God because he is without need. The Bible says God's motivation is his own glory. Let me frame it this way. God is interested in his glory because of his heart. He chooses to accomplish that glory first through loving the unlovable. He wants to accomplish his glory by blessing the one who does not deserve blessing. Now, he does get glory by administering justice in the form of judgment. He does receive glory for disciplining his children. He does receive glory for eternally separating people from himself, those who do not put their faith in Christ. But his heart, his heart is to accomplish this glory through the blessing of his children. Now, God does this blessing multiple different ways. The first way is in the way he blesses the world. The Bible tells us that this is called his common love. He sends rain to grow food for people who do not, who do and do not love him. Everybody, whether they're a believer or not, gets to enjoy the God's invention of how an apple tastes. They get to enjoy the color of the flowers. But then God also blesses through his demonstrated love, the, 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 the sending of Christ for the purpose of paying for our sins so that we don't have to. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what the Bible says is the first and last blessing presented any time we are wondering if God loves us. But then there's lastly, the blessings determined by his particular love. This love is love he shows exclusively to his children. Love only for those who put their faith in Christ. And the Bible tells us what these things are, many of these things. For example, we have access to the king to ask for our necessities. We have the Holy Spirit who helps us and even gifts us so that we may do this work. We have the promise of nearness in our calamities. And of course, as we've been talking about, we have the promise of rest. God's love is what stirs him to give us both physical and spiritual blessings. So we'll end these five, six verses by putting it all together. No matter what needs to be done, no matter what responsibilities you have, no, what, no matter what trouble that comes, you can have rest. Because God is your heavenly Father. As was sang last week, He is the master of the wind. He is the one always in control. I can have rest because these situations, because Jesus is my security. He is the reason I know that I am never alone facing this life. I can have rest and I can work to make my life smooth and I can carry burdens that are not my own and I can deal with the doubt that creeps in because Jesus comes with grace. Grace for my sins, grace for my suffering, grace for my doubts. And this morning I can be untroubled in my soul. I can be free from the crisis of life. I can have gospel sanity because he loves me. He loves me when I wander. He loves me when I, with gentle accessibility. He loves me for my blessing. So this morning, take up the yoke. Learn from him and find rest. 
And when those around you wonder why it seems that you are so untroubled in such a troubling time, remind them that Jesus says they've been invited to have it too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this few weeks study on the reality of the rest that we can have, the promise that is to us as your children. And Lord, not only would we, would we come to you for our salvation, but we would take up this yoke. We would learn from you. Let us know the peace that comes from having you as our master. For you love us and you seek out our blessing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close the service this morning with